Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Saying the Unsaid, a podcast where we are pushing the limits and having difficult conversations in and around several topics. Topics like science, technology, health, entrepreneurship, unconscious bias, and even the arts, and so much more. I am Dr. Elsa Zakeng. And my name is Jamal Brathwaite, and thank you so much for joining us today on Saying the Unsaid. Enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Saying the Unsaid. So joining us today is Dr. Sarah Akdemar. So thank you very much, Sarah, for joining us today. No problem at all. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. Great to have you on board. So I guess we'll kick it off with, uh, just like, tell us a bit about yourself. You know, who is Dr. Sarah Agdemar and, you know, how did she get to become the doctor she is today? So um, once again, thank you for having me. Um, so Dr. Sarah Agdemar. Well, I am a doctor, medical doctor. I work for the NHS. I'm a junior doctor, which means that I'm still in training. And I studied at the University of Liverpool. I studied medicine and I also studied physiology. And I absolutely love the skill and practice of medicine. But aside from my medical practice, I'm also involved in life coaching, uh, motivational speaking. And also, I am a gospel saxophonist, and I absolutely love playing Hello. the saxophone. So I really believe in all aspects of healing. Obviously, yeah. as a doctor, there's the physical healing, healing, and also in terms of well-being and spiritual development, I really am an advocate for pushing for that level of wholeness within every individual. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, I'm an avid saxophone lover too, and I love my Kenny G for sure. So, <laughs> I think a lot of us are at yeah. this point, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, can you tell us if you have any tips for anyone thinking of embarking on this journey? Because absolutely, that's a fantastic career that you have under your belt, and I mean, that's excellent. Everyone should strive to that level of excellence. But what tips have you got specifically to anyone thinking of embarking on this journey, specifically in the UK? Well, one of the most important things I would say, and I would place this before going into the academic rigor, is making sure that you develop and cultivate a positive mindset. Because Mm -hmm. this journey throughout medical school and indeed throughout life and throughout your career will challenge you in ways that you don't expect. Mm -hmm. And it may start from the initial desire to want to be a doctor. There may be some conscious or subconscious bias that people have. So when you may express your desire, you may come back with negative feedback. So you need to be ready to push back. Because not everyone is going to see your dream and see your skills and see your purpose and encourage you. So be prepared for that. And also, once you do get onto the medical program and you are training, you'll see health inequalities. You'll see differences Mm -hmm. between uh, inner city um, individuals that are in these big hospitals versus the suburbs. Mm. Some things may shock you. So you need to be prepared for that. I feel that more often than not, especially when we talk about medicine in Britain, everyone thinks that every single individual is on an equal playing field. Mm. And that's just not the case. And that's not just me saying that Britain is unequal, the world is unequal. And it's 
be important for for anyone embarking in this journey to have that in their mind and also understand that you're not just dealing with people physically yeah with their emotions you're dealing with their family and also you're going to be searching yourself a lot somebody may throw a complaint at you Mm -hmm. Um, somebody may feel that you could have done more Um, and it's having the confidence and the maturity to always be willing to adapt and grow and learn so those are the key things I would say no I absolutely love that I was actually just thinking about um I was watching I think else remember I was watching a program recently on Netflix, new one, Lennox Hill, for the mm. New York hospital and the emotional, you know, stress that, mm. and strain that they, these people go through. It's, mm. it's remarkable, mm. absolutely intense. That's very interesting. Would you say then, sorry, to dig a bit deeper, would you say that you got that sort of rigor from home, from your faith, from where exactly would you say you got that sort of rigor to be able to push mm. through from? Well, to put it quite bluntly, I come from a Christian Caribbean home Mm. and, you know, your self-worth, your identity, all of those things, your mindset is integral in that type of home that I have come from. Mm. And I've always been confident in who I am and in what I can achieve. Mm. And I remember throughout the course of my education, coming across stumbling blocks in the form of teachers Mm. who be it intentional or unintentional I felt they tried to limit me Mm. is that because I'm a black British Caribbean and the statistics are weighed against me in terms of what I should achieve Mm. I don't know could it be that these individuals were reflecting on their own lives and their own inadequacies and there could have been a bit of jealousy and a pushback like well I didn't do it what makes you feel that you can because sometimes you do get that kind of impression from people as well so I would definitely say the home that I have come from has been absolutely instrumental Um, as a Christian I really believe in the principles of having being intentional rather about what you say there's a lot of conviction in the power of your tongue Mm -hmm. so even if somebody was to say something negative to me I would confess positivity over myself Mm -hmm. Um, and just coming from a household where the you know it's you're proud to be who you are Mm -hmm. when people would come with let's say for instance racist remarks my overwhelming emotion would be pity for them as opposed mm, to feeling inadequate about myself because I knew I who I was. I love wow. that way of, of thinking. Mm. I think I think that's fantastic actually. And that's basically getting to the bottom of it, knowing mm. who you are and yeah. being able to come and go across against the grain, really, isn't it? Absolutely. So yeah. I, I want to kind of dive deeper into I suppose the elephant in the room or in the in the world right now, which is COVID nineteen. Um, mm. You obviously have been at the forefront and the front lines, really, of the COVID-19 response with the NHS. So what has that experience been like for you? It's definitely been a life changing experience and nobody has encountered this before and and when I say that I mean no one in our lifetime when I spoke to my consultants for instance I said have you ever experienced anything like this throughout your career and they said no so this was something that the medical profession within our time setting hadn't experienced and for me I found what I found to be the most stressing distressing thing was 
the fact that there was the time whereby it just wasn't deemed safe for family members to come in to be visiting their loved ones. Yeah. So you had a situation whereby people were dying alone. Mm. That was so hard. And, you know, being able to have that human interaction in terms of speaking to the family face to face was gone. And it meant that I had to break bad news over the phone. And that's just awful. Yeah. There's something about human interaction in person that completely supersedes a phone call. And I remember in particular when I was on a night shift and I had to break bad news over the phone five times. It was just awful. It was absolutely awful. And for me, that's one of the things that I found to be so hard. Mm. And also uh, patients that had the severe form of the the disease, i.e. COVID-19, the virus, those that had this severe form, I saw how rapidly they deteriorated. Mm. And that was shocking. Um, and it was just like, oh, my days, you know, mm. on an ordinary day, somebody comes in unwell, you pump them with the necessary treatment and you see them respond quickly, mm. you know, albeit if they're fit and well previously and all these other factors. But it was just the fact that so many people you just saw suddenly deteriorate. Mm. That for me was also quite shocking. And I guess just the whole factor of, you know, having to put on the PPE, Mm. you know, sometimes you're sweating in the masks, you're just sweating in the gowns Mm. and you're just so uncomfortable, but you have to keep going because you know that that person is depending on you. The nation is depending on you. So you just have to keep pushing regardless of how dehydrated, how hot, how sweaty you feel. You just, just got to keep going. Wow. I mean, first of all, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you very <laughs> much. Honestly. I know we clap every Thursday evening at eight o'clock. I don't even believe that that is enough. There is a lot more that we need to do. So thank you so much. A question just came to mind as you were talking about that. Would you say that you were prepared for the emotional tr- toll that this whole process has had on you? Um, no, no right. there's no OSCE exams. The OSCEs are the, the sort of practical exams. Sometimes you get actors in mm. to test your ability to deal with clinical situations or concerns or uh, patients that may be a bit distressed. Mm. But nothing has prepared you for this. Mm. Absolutely nothing. And I think for me, what was shocking um, was the fact that this was affecting young people as well not just the elderly the frail no it was affecting young people as well nothing prepared you for that nothing prepared you for the fact that all these common medical conditions that you normally see would stop presenting and it would be this common thing i.e covid19 presenting nothing prepared you for that and you know nothing prepared you for not being able to break bad news to the family who wanted to come in mm. they wanted to come in and you they couldn't I know at this moment you know guidelines have changed based on scientific data and all of these things but there was a, a moment in time where family said I want to come in and see my loved one and you couldn't allow them to come in nothing prepared you for that wow Goodness. wow that that is a lot so I think my next question then would be, how did you then feel the, from the news and the media and the public announcements? Did they match up with what you were seeing on the front lines or what did you think about that? 
I think that there were huge sort of discrepancies depending on the hospital that you worked in Mm. and depending on the city that you were in. For instance, we all know that London got hit really, really badly, Mm. whereby if you were working in a less, um, you weren't really in a major city and you were outside, then you may not have seen the same levels of presentation. Um, I do feel that the media did portray um, the the impact to be what it was, which was complete devastation. It was absolutely devastating, mm. um, and it just was manic. So, but I do definitely feel places like London mm. would have got hit a lot worse than, for instance, places in the northwest. Okay, fantastic. Wow. That's that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we are going into the easing down slash the lockdown measures are changing. Do you think that there are any chances of a second wave? I mean, anything is possible. It would be completely ignorant to say this is not going to happen. I mean, nobody thought that we were going to have a pandemic at the beginning of 2020. So everything or anything is is absolutely possible. Um, I just think that people need to not forget that this virus is very much around and is still very much potent. So do the same things that we've all been doing. Make sure you wash your hands regularly. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you you know, enforce social distancing. If you feel unwell, make sure that you self-isolate and everyone else in your household. If we continue to be careful and measured, I do really feel that that will help. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... Sounds good. I mean... W- so we, we've, we've been hearing, I suppose there's, you know, this conversation that's been happening, not just here in the UK, but as well as in the United States, that around, you know, black ethnics, uh, minority groups being more affected uh, and dying from COVID-19 uh, than, than sort of, you know, any other sort of uh, uh, groups out there. So, I mean, why would you, why would you, what would you say that that would be the, the reason behind that? Well, I think it's multifactorial. Mm. And to be honest, what we're seeing with this disproportionate effect between Mm. um, uh, the Caucasian population, for instance, here in the United Kingdom and in the United States versus the non-Caucasian population is something that we really do need to talk about because health inequalities exist. For instance, uh, let's let's take race out of it for a moment and we just look at women. A woman is more likely to be misdiagnosed of having a heart attack than a man, according to current research. They're more likely to, their chest pain, for instance, is more likely to be attributed to being anxious or stressed. Whereas if a man presents with chest pain, they're more likely to be taken seriously that it's a heart attack. And that's what the research is showing in terms of gender inequalities. So inequalities gender inequalities exist inequalities exist racial inequalities exist Mm. because sometimes people become uncomfortable and think oh why are we making everything about race Mm. i mean it's stupid to not make something about what it is when you identify an inequality do you Mm. see what i mean um so i mean some things are can be sort of understood in the sense that 
what has been suggested is that people of black and Asian backgrounds are more likely to have underlying conditions like high blood pressure, for instance, diabetes. And that can put you at risk of more severe symptoms if you were to contract the virus. And I thought, hmm, makes sense. Mm. Second thing that you hear is that um, black people and Asian people are more likely to be in jobs that are key workers. Mm. Okay, if people come to immigrate into the country you most likely are going to be in those key worker roles yeah so you think to yourself okay that makes sense and then I remember coming across something I don't know if this is factual because I saw it on social media but it was talking about how well St Lucia had controlled COVID-19 and the amount of people that had suffered or died was very 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 low and then I felt like I had a eureka moment I thought hang on a minute so the countries where black people are the majority, why are we not hearing that exactly. they're doing at a disproportionate rate? Exactly. Why is it where they are the minority, like yes. the United Kingdom, like the United States, that they're dying at a disproportionate rate? And then it goes to show you, so are you trying to say that people in St. Lucia and in Nigeria and in Ghana and in all these other countries where their majority don't have high blood pressure or don't have diabetes? So therefore, mm-hmm. that cannot just be it. Are they not key workers in the countries where they are the majority? Therefore, that cannot just be it. We need to ask ourselves challenging questions, even if it means making ourselves uncomfortable. And it's not good enough to find one or two things that sounds good, that sounds plausible. But when you put it all together and you put in the grand schemes of the scheme of things, doesn't make sense. So, you know, I really feel that this shouldn't be something that the government sweeps under the carpet. And what exactly are the health inequalities that COVID-19 has exposed? Because that's what's happened. COVID-19 has exposed health inequalities. And we need to push further and find out why. Very, very true. You know, and I, and, and, and I love that you actually mentioned St. Lucia because uh, me, myself, being from Barbados myself, I know that they've had 91 cases of, of which only seven people have passed away mm. and 83 recovered. Mm. So, you know, it's predominantly black exactly. population. So it's really just, interesting. Just, yeah. Really, really. Just, I hadn't thought about that point before. Yeah. And then, uh, that's, that's really good insight. Mm. Um, obviously, over the past three months, the world has literally changed. The world that we knew in January no longer exists. We've gone from a pandemic changing the way we live and work to certain events, especially in America, that has obviously opened various people's eyes um, and organizations and companies and even governments to realize that there's bias, there are, there's racism, there are other things that are affecting groups of people from achieving certain things. So following on from that, the next point that we're going to go into really is, what has been your experience of bias within the NHS slash the medical field? Well, I think we're going to call a spade a spade. And when we say bias, we mean racism. That's what we like it. Yeah. yeah. We are saying the, the podcast is saying the other side. Unfortunately, I have experienced racism as a doctor in the NHS, which initially you would feel that in the year 2020, as an accomplished professional in a position whereby you're helping people, you wouldn't be subject to such behavior. But unfortunately, as a doctor, I have experienced um, racism and that has been from colleagues and patients. 
interestingly enough, I have never experienced racism from doctors. And, mm-hmm. you know, I may be right, I may be wrong, but I feel that obviously to be a doctor, you have to be educated to a certain level. Mm-hmm. You go to university, therefore you're exposed. You, you may have friends with black people, Asian people, white people. So therefore, maybe if even if you had grown up with prejudice, the fact that you're exposed and the fact that you're able to mix with people and you're educated to a certain level, maybe that helps. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't, who knows? But I've just noticed... I've never really had an issue with a, with a, with a doctor when it comes to racism. Mm-hmm. I've had issues with nurses, but they've been much older nurses, never the younger generation. So that in itself is something to think about too. Yeah. Um, I remember the first encounter that I had of racism was when I was a medical student and I was taking blood from this patient. After I had finished taking blood from him, he said, so when are you going back? I just thought, surely he can't be asking me what I think he's asking me. I was like, going back, going back to where? He said, when are you going back to Africa? What? And I just remember freezing in that moment. Again, nothing prepares you for that. We've had all the different OSCE stations dealing with angry patients, but there's no station to tell you that somebody's going to racially attack you. And I just thought, here I am trying to help you. And you're trying, you're, what you're trying to do is hurt me, basically. Now I said to him, well, I'm from London. And he said, well, that's not where you're really from. Exactly. And you know, you're you? just, <laughs> just, this is just complete ignorance. And it's just the fact that people like him still probably believe that Africa is a country and not a continent. When you're saying to me, go back to Africa, where do you want me to go? Egypt, Morocco, Tanzania. It's just so ridiculous. And furthermore especially being somebody of caribbean descent the the link to africa is one that's more painful mm-hmm. because of what happened to our ancestors Absolutely. and the fact that this country has made so much money mm-hmm. off of slavery off of uh, africans off of caribbeans and then you have people who are uneducated saying well go back to africa you know it's just ridiculous and ultimately it's white privilege Mm -hmm. because somebody like him wouldn't dream of telling a white american to go back to europe absolutely not wouldn't dream of it Mm -hmm. but thinks it's acceptable to tell a black british person of caribbean descent Mm -hmm. to go to africa that's just one of the examples of racism i've had so, I mean, you've unpacked so much. I think I have about three or four follow-up questions that I, have, that I want to ask you from that. I think I'll focus on the two that, that um, have come to mind. I'll just tell you now so I don't forget. The first one is you talked about um, this event that happened whilst you were in medical school. Do you think that, or does your medical, does medical school training prepare you to address sort of these sort of, these sort of events or should it do a bit more to cater to um, medical doctors who might be on the receiving end of this but also secondly what else can be done on the on the wider level as I mean we've seen protests this has been the biggest civil rights movement over the past in the on the whole world where every city within the United I mean every state sorry in the United States mm-hmm. <laughs> um, has protested in the UK over 18 countries around the world have protested against white supremacy, racism, bias, whatever we want to call it. But what would you say that 
is the is UK specific that needs to be done? So just remember the two questions there. So I definitely do feel that it should be incorporated more within the training of how you're how best to react or how best to handle situations when you've been attacked with racism mm -hmm. because nine times out of ten you're shocked because you don't know when it's coming mm -hmm. you don't know if it's coming when you're a student you don't know if it's coming when you're a doctor you don't know if it's coming when you're on your day shift you don't know when it's coming whether you're on your night shift you do not know when it's coming mm -hmm. and I feel that if you are able to have that level of training of look this is what is recommended if somebody does this if somebody racially abuses you these are the channels to go through i definitely feel that that would help i mean these channels may exist but i don't i've not heard of them mm. so maybe if they do exist let's make let's amplify it mm. we all know that the nhs has a zero tolerance to racism but as far as it translates to me that's just a sentence mm. i don't know how how that translates into action so I feel that yes that's something that most definitely should be um, further explored and in terms of was your second question what should the UK do about racism yeah so obviously I feel like a lot of times at least for me when we when you hear about racism you hear it a lot in the United States context and not yeah. necessarily within the UK context, or at least it's not as amplified or talked about as much as I feel like it should be. So yeah. what would you say that needs to be done within the UK context? Education. Mm. Fundamental and is absolutely key. There are a lot of people who do not understand why Britain was called great. Why are we called Great Britain? A lot of people don't understand that. So um, a lot of people do not understand why and how Britain has attained its wealth and its exactly. and that is really important because you hear statements like oh you should be grateful to be here yeah <laughs> <laughs> should, I, should I be grateful to be here or should you be grateful that I am here yes. do you know what I mean so I really do feel that you know whenever it was black history month it always talked about the transatlantic slave trade about american slavery mm. it didn't talk about what king leopold did it didn't talk about how the british empire thrived off of slavery it didn't talk about what the atrocities were done for yeah. instance in australia mm. kicking off babies heads burying them i mean this this you cannot hide this mm really cannot people like christopher columbus hailed as a hero mm. people need to understand what he did to the native americans because when you you can't know where you're going if you don't know where you're coming from mm. that's the angle that that i really really feel passionate about and i really do feel that people really do need to be educated understand why the world is as it is now and then when you have that understanding, then you're empowered to evoke change. Without knowledge, you're stupid. Mm. I know it sounds harsh, but we have to say how you have to say things how it is. Mm. And I really do believe that the national curriculum needs to be reevaluated and changed. We're fed up of, of of themes and books that depict black people either just as slaves or gangsters. Absolutely. It's ridiculous. You Absolutely. know, what what about books that are relevant? Mm. These what what kind of books are we studying at GCSC English level? Do you know what I mean? What kind of books are we studying at um, A level? Why cannot we have? Why can't we have a curriculum that is more diverse, mm. that is more empowering? 
that is more informative to equip you for what state the world is currently in and that's my take on it i mean i think i mean you've, you've hit all the nails on the head there's absolutely nothing i can I add mean, to that it's we've been having this conversation now i think over and over and over and it's just every time i still even hear it it's like yeah you know what i mean it's yeah. like a light bulb it's like yeah that's exactly right <laughs> Um, but yeah, I get, I, I completely, completely agreed. And it comes to the education system. And actually just the other day we signed a, um, petition. a petition to actually include and change the British curriculum, mm -hmm. uh, for schools to include black history. Yeah. Um, yes. because it's important that they know, yeah. um, we can't go another three generations with this stuff constantly still going on. Something needs to be changed. Exactly. And also highlight the inventions that black people make too absolutely <laughs> just, like the lady who in, who invented laser surgery is a black woman in america really? and it's just like unless i go and read those things myself nobody tells me and yes don't get me wrong i'm not saying that we shouldn't know about henry the eighth and the tudors they definitely do have a place but we need to learn about how this country was shaped hmm to understand and we need to learn how this country used to treat their own people absolutely houses, you know send them to the workhouse let us understand the nature of our own country so that we understand how things are and why things are the way that they are and i feel unless we do that we're forever going to be blind and slamming our head against a brick wall and getting nowhere that's that's my take on it I think it's just that and, and it's simply the education, but then accepting mm -hmm. the education. Because, I mean, look, there's still some people that don't want to believe these things, right? Just like when I said, I think the UK is more racist than America, but it's just more subtle here. People don't want to believe that. But even if they're educated, they still don't want to believe it because it's pride. But the pride is, is, is where? Where is it coming from? Mm -hmm. It's coming from a, a place of... of, of ignorance mm. right misplaced pride because the, the uk has been built on on not even just slavery it's been built back of slaves but and slavery but even just here at home where for example here in manchester in the cotton mill they used to use those children mm. to go and pick up the extra cotton and they used oh. to die mm. do you know what i mean so yeah that's i mean obviously this is a conversation that we can have and that goes on but there's one thing that actually you said that i cannot shake off my mind is the fact that you've put yourself in a position you're a professional, you're a medical doctor, you're on the front lines of a COVID-19 response, but at the same time, you're still on the receiving end of racism mm. from people that are seeking your help. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. It's absolutely mind-boggling. How does that make you feel sometimes? I think, you know, when you, you just, so many words, really. It's difficult <laughs> to articulate it in just one particular sentence because so many things cross your mind. Hmm. Initially, it's like, what a cheek. And yeah. then secondly, it's like, what a hypocrite. Mm. Because somebody like that would also run to the Caribbean shop and get jerk chicken or run to the Indian shop and get curry. Yep. So yeah. you're saying you don't want me, but you really want me. Exactly. exactly. Hey, These are the things listen, that are really, preach. really frustrating. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And thirdly, it's the conflict of professionalism and racism. Mm. Because inside of that hospital setting, I would sit down and educate him. Right. I would tell him, go and read 
roots. Go and read Race and Class in the Ruins of Empire by Akala. I would literally sit down and educate the person. But I haven't got time. I'm rushed off my feet. Nine times out of ten, I haven't even had a chance to have a break. Mm-hmm. And that's not my role as a doctor. My role as a doctor is to administer care. It's not to educate you on your ignorance. Mm-hmm. And I feel that that is where there is the conflict. Because nine times out of ten, I just walk away. Mm-hmm. Because we have careful to protect the institution of medicine we see what happens for instance in the police force where your job role is to serve and protect but when you're met with a challenging situation you abuse your power and abuse your responsibility allow that to happen within the medical profession so i would rather walk away Mm. than compromise the sacredness of the doctor patient relationship and that is where i say there is that conflict Mm -hmm. and this is the thing this is why i feel there needs to be a more thorough a more transparent setup of what is the consequence of of racism Mm -hmm. or when a patient is abusive to to the doctor for instance when i raised it up in my hospital they did address my concerns it got escalated and i remember one of the final emails being well do you want to report it to the police and i just thought what's that going to achieve why would i want to report it to the police maybe it's my ignorance or not but i've had my phone stolen i've reported it to the police and it got me nowhere so it's just like well actually why not have it have some kind of electronic system that flags up that this patient has been racially abusive before and if it's something that keeps happening then that's something to address but i don't know i feel that i'm either i'm oblivious to the setups of what is in place to protect doctors from racial abuse or it doesn't exist it's one of the two elsa's laughing because i literally came up with an idea the other day and i put it out there to to everyone um including our burn network as well that we're a part of um basically saying you know the same way how out there we have sex offenders or um, people who are going to AA meetings and they've got to do this. You know, you get three points or whatever on your license and yeah. then it's, your license is taken away. Why can we not have a similar system in place that if you're out there and you're racist to somebody, mm. right, then you have to go to some sort of form of rehab for 12 yeah. weeks where it can educate you on yeah. biases and, and maybe a psychiatrist as well to maybe challenge your own unconscious biases. And then get you back into work but you know oh, at the, again what we what here's the thing right racism is systemic and economic mm. that's where they really are strangling you know the ethnic minorities and so if we attack the money mm. that's exactly you nobody wants to take food off their table mm, yeah. right so if we simply just attack that mm. then we're going to get somewhere somehow right yeah definitely Wow. So I love that idea. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So obviously we can have this conversation forever. No, so I mean, I'm can, enjoying it. We can, well, it. we're going to start bringing this to a close now. We know you've got some exciting news. You were featured on Take Your Knee Off My Neck. Yes. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, yeah, so it's um, short films that are being shown every day this week on Channel 4, and it's just highlighting the Black British experience in terms of being in the UK, um, you know, having to combat racism and all the connotations that surround it. And it's really, really informative. It's definitely one of the must-watches. Um, it's, it's really going to open your eyes if your eyes were closed before. Mm-hmm. And it's, it will definitely challenge 
the the misconception that racism is an American issue mm. it's not and it's something that we really do need to address as a country because that's the only way you can go forward when you understand the, the problem you unite and you work towards a solution so I'll definitely say watch it educate yourself and educate your friends where can we watch it can you give us some direction to where we can watch it yeah so um channel four it comes on straight after the news at 7 55 p.m every day this week and if you so happen to miss that then you can go online and catch the replay amazing and i believe that the online replays are on for about 30 days so people, about that yeah yeah they've got a good time and finally can you say us where our listeners can find you on social media to just continue being edu- educating themselves both on health obviously on the topic of racism and bias yeah definitely so i am on social media my name on instagram is it's it's underscore doctor d-o-c-t-o-r Sachs. it's dr Sachs. i'm also on twitter and I'm also on Facebook. I'd love to hear from all of you guys. So, you know, come on, drop me a DM. I'm really eager and anticipating hearing from you all. Fabulous. Well, look, Dr. Dr. Sarah Edmar, we it's been an absolute pleasure to <laughs> have you this. on here, honestly. And we hope to be able to have you again in our second That's series um, and talk about some more topics, more issues. Let's really dive deep. Like we said, we love to talk about things that people don't like to talk about again the meaning yes. of the, the the name of the podcast is saying the onset so once again both from us thank you so much for joining us and thank you thank you for having me thank you thank you very much for listening today we hope you enjoyed it thank you to our sponsors job seekers and solidarity in tech if you're looking for a job or looking to hire in the most unbiased way, check out jobseekers.co.uk. You can also find us personally on social media. I am at underscore Jay Brathwaite. And I am at Elsa Zakang. Go on, be bold. Say the unsaid. It ain't for the week.